Alright, this is so funny, it's so weird. I, I hit record already, but so it's too late, I'm All not right. fucking, alright, whatever. Alright, welcome back to the Danger Knock Podcast, hosted by Acronym. Today is a special day, because today is the first, um, we have the first ever Danger Knock guest, and his name is Douglas Warner. Say Hello. hi, Douglas. Hey, thanks for having me. Doug and I met through um, the American Marketing Association at UIC, and um, it was funny because very quickly, he became like a very like wise and insightful person to me, and you'll <laughs> see that probably throughout this podcast, but um, Doug, I just wanted you to like introduce yourself. I don't know if you wanted to say anything about like being here or... Yeah. Yeah, we'd been talking about doing a podcast for a long time, and I think... From the very beginning of meeting through AMA, we were drawn together as being kind of kindred creative spirits. And ENFPs. Our... Oh, yeah, yeah. We have matching personality <laughs> types, which we found out later. But I think creative people are kind of drawn together. And uh, you're a little more active in it than I am now. But uh, this was something I was really interested in doing. And, and I think I had to come you know, into AMA and back to school a little bit later in life. So I think that gives me... A unique perspective i don't know if i would call myself wise but glad to be here yeah i mean i really don't do this as much as you think i do in terms <laughs> of like this is like a once a month thing i'm trying to be more consistent with it but um having amazing guests like you will make this Aww. easier um yeah i don't know i feel i feel nervous before every single episode for some reason but we all we spent like 30 minutes before this recording trying to figure out how to do two mics so because i'm not professional i don't figure things out beforehand i just come and tell my guests to help me figure it out so but we have the technology a nice british man on youtube help us yeah out, so. thank you british man on youtube <laughs> and I, i'm back so i'm back on uic campus which is funny and we found this like room that we might have to like make our official like home for danger not because it's like such a podcasty room this is the Maybe Danger a, Knock studio. I'll post, I'll post on the Danger Knock page the selfie I took earlier of this room, and you'll see like what I'm talking about. But uh, to get right into it, I wanted like we can talk maybe later about how me and Doug met and all that. But I wanted to get into like the what is it the meat and potatoes is that is that what yeah. you, is that what you Americans say? All right, <laughs> um, of Doug's adventures over this summer because Doug came back from. He spent his whole entire summer in Alaska and I wanted to hear his kind of his journey going to there and like what he experienced and kind of the how life in Alaska differs from, I guess, are we mainland or what, what, what uh, the, the states? continental U.S. All right. the lower isn't it on the same continent, though? Well, it's just yeah. like Canada. Yeah, it it's just like an thing. asterisk on Canada's ass. It's just like. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's not connected. So they. Yeah. Uh, they feel special that way. What is that thing called where, like, Alaska connects to Russia? The strait? Something the strait? Well, it used to it, be. It though, doesn't exist it's anymore. The Bering Sea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's where, like, Eskimos, like, got here? Yeah, before it got flooded or whatever. I heard Eskimos, Eskimos bad word. Oh. Yeah, we refer to them as Native Alaskans. And actually, I worked right. for a Native Alaskan corporation up there. Oh, that's sure. the corporation that owned our hotels. There were two hotels, and what's interesting is that unlike in the lower 48, where Native Americans were given their own land and they have sovereignty basically over it, in Alaska, the Native tribes decided to incorporate, so they became businesses. So they operate a little bit differently than they do in the lower 48. It's more like organized up there? 
it's organized yeah and it's also they each have their own little niche like one um community outside of anchorage runs like a public clinic there and that's kind of their business model so you won't find any native alaskans running casinos like they tend to down here yeah they all have either uh they're part of the tourism business which is really big Mm -hmm. they may be running hotels they may some of them own museums so it's it's just a different business model than what they have down here it's kind of interesting how how was the journey even getting there in the first place because it's not like you just catch a quick flight over there or take a car ride it's it's like i heard it's very complicated and just getting to where you need to go in alaska yeah yeah it can be so i was working outside of denali national park which is in the interior of the state the closest major towns would be anchorage which is about two hours north or the closest uh i'm sorry that's the closest town is two hours away yeah yeah and fairbanks is actually i'm sorry it's two hours north anchorage is six hours south so you can fly into either of those spots i decided to fly into anchorage on my way in so that was about an eight-hour flight from Chicago. I was lucky enough to get a direct flight. Stayed for a day in Anchorage, and then it was an eight-hour train ride from Anchorage up to Denali. Jeez. So that was my that was my adventure getting there. But the train is not the fastest way. But a lot of our guests got there via train, so that's why I decided mm-hmm. to take it up. Isn't Alaska like you don't like on a map when you look at it? It seems the size of a regular state, but in reality, it's almost the size of the entire. Like, I guess, continental U.S.? Yeah, it's huge. I'd seen some of those maps, and I couldn't give you an exact size, but I know Texas fits in the whole thing easily. The entirety of the Midwest basically fits in Alaska. So it's a huge state, and I think the maps kind of distort the size of it. Well, I feel like um, Alaska is... it's. It's, high, it's not as populated, obviously, as other places, so there's a lot of more barren land. So the people who are there is just like pockets of them. And like, oh, I want to go to this town. Let me take these huskies and get over there. Yeah. Is that, oh, is that like, but people like, is that a common thing for people to just grab a bunch of like huskies and malamutes to travel? Yeah, to have sled dogs. And a lot of people go up there and have properties for mm-hmm. dog mushing. Near where I was staying, we, we worked with a... a property owned by Jeff King, who was a five-time Iditarod champion. Don't quote me on that. But he, during the summer... That's the word, Iditarod. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was... Yeah. Yeah. I watched a lot of animals in it. All right. Sorry. (laughs) That is the big uh, dog sledding race. That um, departs from Anchorage and goes all the way to Nome. So it's a a long race. I wish I knew offhand how long it was, but it's like a 10- or 12-day ordeal, hundreds of miles. But a lot of people up there, even if it's just as a hobby will keep sled dogs mm-hmm. and they'll run sled dogs they'll do dog mushing in the winter so that's a really cool thing and i had the opportunity while i was working outside of the national park to volunteer with their team of sled dogs the canine rangers the ones owned by the national park service and that was some of the most fun i had all summer don't tell me like you were there for three months and you didn't ride i on the... i didn't no what i didn't there was no snow dog. while i was there how? <laughs> there was a little I, bit of that's snow. That's two days in. I'm re- I'm getting pulled by huskies. That's like, I have to go back. That's, that's like, oh, I went to Australia. Did you see a kangaroo? No, I didn't. Like, what? <laughs> what? I got to hang out with the sled dogs. Okay. That's, uh, that's I got good. to walk the sled dogs. Okay, that's cool. When, when they do demonstrations during the summer, they'll either hook them up to the front of an ATV or to basically a go-kart that has no engine in it because there's no snow, so they can't pull a sled. But um. that's how they demonstrate it. I didn't get to ride on it, so I have to go back now. Damn. So, <laughs> um, how was? So you went. When did you? When did you land? It was. I. I know you left at the 
beginning of May, I believe. Yeah, I think I landed in Anchorage on May 11th. Mm-hmm. So about the middle of the day. And they're three hours behind us in Central Time. So I landed in the middle of the day, spent the afternoon and the evening, and then uh, actually got up to Denali on the 13th of May. So um, when you got there, what was like was there a drastic weather difference or like it's 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 leading into summer but i don't know how like summer in alaska was it like 60 degrees fahrenheit yeah i would say on an average it was probably 60 the seasons change a lot slower uh up there because it's so much further north so when i got there in may it still felt like kind of the end of winter there was snow in a lot of areas our property had some snow on it still and then spring rolls in really fast i'd say they get about a month of spring about a month of summer and then by the time i left in august it already felt like fall we already had trees changing so very short seasons other than winter being probably nine months out of the year and did you notice like a difference in air quality being up there luckily we weren't at a different altitude Mm -hmm. i thought i was gonna have to deal with altitude changes and that would mess with me but we were only at about two thousand feet above sea level so nothing crazy Mm -hmm. the air was really great for most of the time because we're just outside of six million acres of pristine wilderness so the air quality was definitely better one of the big problems they had this summer was we had a bunch of forest fires that we had to compete with so about two weeks the beginning of july the entire canyon we worked our my hotel was on the edge of one mountain and across the river from us there was another mountain so we called it the canyon or the Mm -hmm. valley kind of the area where all the shops and all the tourists stayed and the entire canyon was filled with smoke for about two weeks jesus and that was hard for a lot of people so we were hanging handing out the masks Mm -hmm. like the medical style masks for a lot of our guests because they were having trouble breathing and it didn't bother me when the smoke was out there but a couple days after it cleared i got really really sick so i I think it probably ingested something yeah i think it it messed with my body and i just i had never had to deal with i never lived someplace where they had wildfires so Mm -hmm. that was a whole new thing for me so for people who don't know and by people, I mean me. Um, how, do they, how do these wildfires start? Yeah, that's a great question. So most of these were started by lightning. And there were mm. two problems happening this summer in Alaska that made it especially bad for wildfires. One of it was that it was hotter than usual. So the forest and everything is really dry. And the second thing was they have a big invasion of a beetle, like an invasive beetle that Damn. kills all of the spruce trees. So a lot of the evergreen trees that they have in their forests are spruce and the beetles come in and kill them so they'll still be standing up but they'll be totally dead they'll be dry inside so that's just extra fuel for the fire when something small starts that would normally burn itself out all of a sudden it has tons more trees that it can burn uh i've saw online that in in times of um like wildfires and the animals need to escape did you ever see kind of like any strange wildlife where they normally wouldn't be <laughs> we like, had oh, there, a... there's a bear in my porta potty because there was a wildfire. <laughs> no. Um, we had a couple of animals that tended to hang around our property uh-huh. and like moose run up the driveway a couple of times. Yo, but how I, big is a moose? I'm sorry to interrupt. Big. Yo, yeah. I saw like, I thought a moose was like a deer, but then I saw on like YouTube, yo, that's an SUV. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not super tall, but I, the shoulder of the moose could easily be up to the top of my head for a full grown moose. And, and they're just heavy too. So it's, I didn't get super close. That's not recommended, but, uh-huh. um, they're giant, bigger than I would have imagined. And they're not scared. No, oh. no, they're not scared. I had a couple of run-ins 
with uh, Mama Moose, with Cow Moose. Oh, shit. Because they, the area by the visitor center is where a lot of people are. Uh-huh. And the moose are smart enough to know that if they hang around there, bears won't get them and wolves won't get them because the predators don't like people. Mm-hmm. So the cows will come out of the park and hang around in the woods outside of the visitor center to have their calves in the spring, which mm-hmm. normally happens in May. And then they'll raise their babies where the people are so that they don't get eaten by bears or predators. Are they comfortable with people though? Like if they see one, they won't, they won't trip or like... uh, they, they don't like it. And I think they know that they can kind of boss us around cause they'll charge mm. you. Oh my so, God. Yeah. I didn't get charged by a mom moose. We got charged by an adolescent, kind of a teenage mm. moose one yeah, day. Yeah, like, but... Shut up. You're like 13, Yeah, <laughs> but still big. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's fucking teenage angst moose. Yeah. Like, Fuck you, mom. I'm fucking talking to the humans. <laughs> Right. And uh, and the babies are funny because they're really curious, but the uh-huh. mom wants none of it. Like, yeah. the mom will get pissed off that you're close to her babies. So um, they know that they can boss you around. I've, I was run off a couple of trails by them, but mainly just to stay safe, just like, uh-huh. I'm going to respect your area. Like, this, these are your words. Preemptively. Though, yeah, yeah, exactly. To not get trampled. Because actually in Alaska, I don't know how common knowledge this is, but more people get killed every year by moose than by bears. Damn. So, and that's because partly there's a lot more moose, but... And I think also, like, in the in your psyche or in the general, like, um, human thought, you're not as, like, quote-unquote scared of a moose. So people will probably do a lot more dumb things with a moose than they would with a bear. Like, if you see a bear, you're like, oh, shit, it's a bear. I'm a dip. Right. But if you see a moose, like, oh, look, cute, it's a moose, moose, and then you get trampled. Yeah, yeah. You look at it, and you kind of think of, like, oh, it's a deer. But really, if you got close enough to a deer and it wanted to, it could also cause some damage. So yeah. Yeah. Um. It's. It reminds me of like. Uh. I think. Yeah. In Africa, the high the the hippo kills more people than crocodiles. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. And like hippos just look like they're chilling and they're just like fat, but they can run fast and they got those big ass mouths. Yeah. Yeah. And they can be defensive, so that's the thing. It's just like keeping your space from the the wildlife. A moose is just like a North American hippo. Yeah. (laughs) And I heard some of the more interesting stories about moose I heard while I was up there was that in the winter, they have a lot of snow, and the moose, like us, it's a lot of trouble for them to walk through two or three feet deep snow. Mm-hmm. So in the winter, when the highways are plowed, they'll decide they want to walk on the highway instead mm-hmm. of through the woods. And then when traffic stops, um, a lot of people will have, like, the moose is blocking the way. Mm-hmm. I heard a story from one native Alaskan who lived up there who said that <laughs> she's seen a couple of cars, like, they're hoods get trampled by a moose because the car got too close to them the moose got pissed off and decided it wanted to stomp on their car Damn. so they're not if they're not afraid of cars they're not going to be afraid of people no that's crazy okay so in in staying on the topic of animals what was like your most memorable like animal encounter was it with the moose did you see a bear did you see a wolf like tell yeah. me about this like situation yeah so we saw like i said we saw a lot of moose on a regular basis I did see a lot of bears while I was there. I probably saw 30 bears, Dang. but a lot of them were on the bus in and out of the park. Because they were of... on the bus? What? They, they <laughs> no. just like got a ticket. It was like, yo, I'm out this bitch. Yeah, no, no. The bear wasn't on the bus. Oh. Um, I, was, I was on the bus <laughs> observing the bear. Yeah. And because if you're headed into Denali to do any hiking or camping, there's only one road, so you have to take a park bus. Probably the most memorable thing that I saw was I was coming out from a camping trip with a couple of my buddies. And our bus was going over a bridge, and what will happen is um, the the moms will keep their cubs with them for a year or two until they decide that they're old enough to fend for themselves, and then mm-hmm. they basically just ditch them. They basically wow. just say, like, fuck you, I'm out. So I think what we saw on the way back was a mom 
kicking, basically kicking her cubs out Damn. into the wild. Like, go get a job. Yeah, yeah, basically, go fend for yourself now. And these cubs, you think a two-year-old cub, like, this is almost a fully grown grizzly yeah. bear. So they're big. What we saw was coming over the bridge, we saw this bear booking it really fast from the right-hand side down the opposite bank. And she just kept going, and she dove right into the water, and she started swimming across the river uh, below us. And we thought, like, she must have been being chased by something or something was going wrong. But later, after she crossed to the other side of the river and started just climbing a straight cliff, we saw two her two cubs come, like, racing after her and you could tell they were trying to find her Mm -hmm. and they they lost her because they stayed on the opposite side of the river they crossed the road and i think she was gone so we got to see two cubs basically get kicked out of the house damn yeah yeah okay so um like what do you think would be one of your uh bigger like takeaways from this whole entire alaska trip yeah so this summer going to alaska and seeing the landscape and seeing the animals and everything was awesome but really it was an opportunity for a lot of personal growth and in a lot of areas that I didn't necessarily realize. So one of the things that taught me was as I come up on graduation, I've been kind of stressed about figuring out like, do I stay in Chicago? Do I move somewhere else? You know, it's easier to find a job if you're open to relocation. You better stay wherever I'm at. What the hell? Yeah. Right. I love Chicago. I love Chicago. Um, But what it taught me was that going from a huge city like Chicago out to Denali where we had maybe don't know a thousand seasonal employees that live there during the summer and practically no one lives there during the winter so to go to such a small community i thought it would be lonely and i'd spend some time by myself but really it doesn't matter how many people you have around you as long as you have a tight-knit community and you just have something Mm -hmm. in common with them so for them like everyone had their own reason why they came up to denali most of them love the outdoors all of them love people i met a lot of creative people while i was up there Mm -hmm. so i really didn't feel lonesome and i wasn't lacking in people Uh, Another huge lesson for me was learning to live with less stuff. Mm. And that wasn't intentional going up there. But when I left to spend the four months in Alaska, I had just a duffel bag and I had my backpack. And so I had pretty much enough clothes for a week and, you know, a place to do laundry. So it wasn't roughing it, but it was just all the unnecessary stuff gets left behind. And living that way for four months, when I came back to my apartment, it was just like, oh, here are all these other things I own that I kind of forgot about. And they're like bonus things. They're nice Mm -hmm. to have, but... A lot of stuff I thought was essential before I realized not so much. Could you like also tell the viewers kind of a description of what your role was working up there? Yeah. 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 That's a good starting point. So I went up to Denali National Park to work at a lodge and I was basically a concierge. So Mm -hmm. it was my job to greet all of the tour groups that were coming in. A lot of people who come to Denali, there's no airport in Denali or there's one very, very small airport just for bush planes and stuff. So everyone who comes up either flies into Fairbanks and takes a bus down or will fly into Anchorage and take a train up. And a lot of people are getting to Anchorage on a cruise ship. You'll have a cruise that leaves Vancouver or Seattle and they'll get off the ship in Anchorage and then part of their package will be taking the train up to Denali. So my job every day was to greet these big groups of guests coming off the train or off their coach bus, introduce them to the park, introduce them to our property, kind of show them around and and help them with that. And then when I wasn't handling tour groups coming in, then it was basically selling tours, saying like, hey, you want to go see some sled dogs? You want to go see the peak of the mountain? You want to go on a hike? And we have a lot of awesome, awesome companies that we worked with up there. So is there any, I guess, memorable guest interactions that you've had good, preferably bad? Uh I want to hear the bad stuff, but also (laughs) like there's good ones too. I, I wouldn't say there were any real bad ones. The, the awesome thing about that job was that 
getting up to Denali is the vacation of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. A lot of guests only get to go there once, and most of them don't get to do it until they're like retirement age, like mm-hmm. 60, 70. So I wouldn't even say it was bad, but one of my more interesting ones was part of our job was delivering amenities to rooms. So say we found out it was somebody's anniversary, we'd put together a nice little plate with chocolate-covered strawberries, and we'd bring mm-hmm. them to their rooms. I went to deliver <laughs> I went to deliver an amenity to this one room, and I I knocked on the door, oh, and they were already there, which was which was fine, not doing? ideal, but they were there. Were they celebrating their anniversary? <laughs> they well, <laughs> not in the way that you would think, oh, and not okay. in the way that I okay. expected. Yeah, so I knocked on the door, and he's like, "Um, we're busy. Can you come back later?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah, I'm I'm just trying. I have something to give you, so I can leave it out here." And he's like, "Oh, okay, hang on one second. And then he opened the door, and like immediately i got hit by it just like the stench of just marijuana just like (laughs) choking it up in the room which which makes sense because uh recreational marijuana is is legal in alaska Mm -hmm. so a lot of guests kind of partied up so they were so they had to find an alaskan plug right because or they probably couldn't bring it on the plane they can't bring it on the plane or the train or on the boat but uh in the valley we had our own uh dispensary Oh, that's crazy. Some genius entrepreneur decided to open a dispensary in the middle of these like touristy hotels and gift shops. You have unlimited business because they can't go anywhere else. Yeah, they can't. They can't. And all these guests, again, they're on vacation. They're in Alaska. It's once in a lifetime. So um, guests aren't supposed to smoke in the room. So now I I understood why he was kind of hesitant to open up the door Uh and see me. And so I just I gave him his chocolate covered strawberries and kind of like Doug ain't no snitch out of there. Yeah, Shout no, and I didn't. Nine. Of course, I didn't tell him. Like, <laughs> it's a special occasion. I don't want to make it bad, but um, you had to take a tax from him. Did they what? You had to take like a tax from him. Like I won't say nothing, but just slap me something <laughs> under the door. <laughs> no, I kind of. I was so upset. I was so like thrown off by it. Like I know that that happens, but I just like it was so obvious, and it was he was already acting shady, so that explained everything. Yeah. So uh, that was an interesting one. One of my other favorite ones was I had a guest that came up and he asked me about seasonal work. And we went back and forth a long time. He was like, what is the living situation like? How are your, your coworkers? Like, what goes on in the in, – they weren't really dorms, but, like, what goes on in the cabins? And really it turned out he was asking me all these questions because he just, like, was li- living vicariously through us. Uh-huh. I, as I got to know him, he got kind of emotional. He told me that, like, right out of high school I had a kid and I was never able to go on adventures. Like, I was never able to do stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So – it was really cool to see a fresh perspective on being able to do that and get away and yeah. um, have that kind of freedom. So, up there, like I know you're like discuss the animals and the people, but is there mm-hmm. any like personal highs and lows that you like took from this trip? Like, was there a time where you're like, "Damn, like I wish I was back um, in the the lower 48"? Yeah. Or at the times where like I'm in like the top of the world. Yeah, yeah. There were highs and lows. I. A high is hard to pick, so I'll start with a low. Okay. Personal low, I talked about getting sick the week after the forest fires. Mm. And I think it's just really difficult to maintain a positive attitude when your body is completely shutting down. Yep. I had a really bad fever, and I almost like didn't sleep for an entire weekend because of, because of that fever. And I think it was a combination of breathing in smoke for two weeks straight and also being around a lot of tourists, so you're getting all kinds of yeah. germs. So at that point, it was like, I just want to go home and lay in my own bed. Mm-hmm. And like what you know, be able to walk to Walgreens and buy like whatever snacks and stuff I want, like those little comforts that you miss. 
And so it was hard to keep a positive attitude there. But as soon as I felt better, I started to realize that like how awesome of an opportunity it was. You mentioned the Walgreens and the snacks and just kind of like triggered my brain. I'm like, whoa, like what kind of what's your food situation like up there? Yeah. Okay. You're just that... eating salmon all day. <laughs> I wish I wish it was salmon. <laughs> um, so the main thing that we had and the reason why our seasonal job was great was there's an employee dining room. So we called it the EDR, which is basically a cafeteria. Mm -hmm. And you'll have meal hours three times a day. So breakfast will be 6.30 to 9, and then lunch is noon to 2, whatever. And they'll have a whole menu, everything laid out for you when you want to go. So all your meals are, are provided. For us, it was actually just like a couple dollars out of our check every day to get that food. But you're not cooking. You're not going to buy food. That's good. Yeah, most of it, when I got there, I was really impressed. There were a lot of like healthy options. So I was trying to stick with the salad and eat chicken and, and like lean things. But throughout the season, you get kind of sick of having the same meals. Even if it's every other week, you've had that meal, what, seven, eight times before you mm -hmm. leave. So I ended up, you know, running down to the gift shops and buying chips or mm -hmm. candy or something, and which is like... Are there like, is there fast food options out there? Like, yo, let me go to this Alaskan McDonald's? No, no. The closest, so the closest McDonald's, closest Taco Bell were in Fairbanks. So like two hours away. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a good thing. I did make a trip up to Fairbanks in July, and one of the first things I did was eat Taco Bell because yeah. I missed it. It's a guilty pleasure. Like, I'm going to need this burrito. <laughs> yeah. Up and in it, his mountain, honestly, eating lean like, fish and shit. Yeah, I had looked forward to eating Taco Bell for like a month, and then I, I ate it, and I was just really disappointed. I was like, oh, this is what I what I was missing while I was gone. So, no Wait, offense was to Taco the Taco Bell. Bell disappointing in and of itself, or no? Or are I, you just disappointed in yourself that you let yourself down to go up there. <laughs> I think it was just, you know, it's sometimes you go and you have good fast food experiences. It's just like everything is on point uh -huh. and it's like fresh. Yeah. Um, that was not the greatest one. So, um, but in the Canyon we had, so there's another big property called the princess hotels, which they run princess cruise lines. Mm -hmm. So it's part of their whole package of like, a guest can be on their boat and then can go stay in their hotel as part of their property. They had grizzly burger, which is like a burger joint. And we had another place down in the canyon called Denali Dog, which would do things like you could get a um, like a caribou brat, and you can get um, these kind of exotic meats. Um, so there were fast food options, but a lot of it was just spending a lot of money because food was expensive up there. So do people eat moose up there, or is it like not allowed? Or not for you can you can hunt moose, yeah. and a lot of Alaskans do. Especially a lot of them will do subsistence hunting, which is basically the government saying that, like, you can hunt as much as you want as long as, like, it goes towards – you're not selling it. You're not doing it for profit. It's like, I'm going to get a bunch of salmon, and this is going to get me through the winter. Or I'm going to hunt a moose, and this is going to be my food for the next couple months. So you could go, and you could get kind of, like, touristy things from the shop, like moose jerky or whatever, but I don't think it was a real common thing. Um, on these trips, I'm assuming, like, I know you said you're a concierge, but you probably got involved in some hiking activities. I saw on your Instagram. <laughs> Were yep. there any moments? I know you're a natural outdoorsman and you're, you're, you're in your element out there, but was there any moment on like either a camping trip or a hiking trip? You're like, damn, what the hell is going on? Either you're very yeah. exhausted or you almost slipped and fell off a mountain. Like any situations like that? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um, I, <laughs> I do consider myself a pretty experienced outdoorsman. What I quickly learned about Alaska is it's way more rugged and it's uh -huh. way more wild than any place I'd been before. In a lot of places, you'll go to a state park and there's a maintained trail and there will be a map and they'll say, okay, go from mm -hmm. start here and then walk around here and then whatever. Um, I the, A lot of the reason I wanted to go to Denali was because they have what they call backcountry camping, which is basically the park is sectioned off into like mile-wide squares, big, big sections. 
you pick one and then you just they let you off the bus there you hike to wherever your designated area is and you camp wherever you want there's no trail really there's no camping spots you just walk until you say this looks like a good spot and you set up your tent and they're like like hey this is outside figure it out yeah and then they dip yeah yeah it's that's some man versus wild shit i always wanted to do that yep yeah it's super wild and that's what there are other parks that do backcountry camping but in denali because there's six million acres there's only one road by the time you get off the bus and start walking you could easily be miles and miles away from the nearest human being so that was what was really impressive to me the very very first backcountry trip i took i went by myself and all my coworkers were really worried about me but that was kind of my goal going out there was like i'm gonna do these things on my own and become self-sufficient like that and that first trip was super humbling because mm-hmm. uh, I took a bunch of gear with me that wasn't tied down as tightly as it should have been. So by the time, so I got off the bus, I crossed a couple of rivers, I hiked for six or seven hours. And by the time I realized that I found a spot that I wanted to camp, I went to reach for my bear spray, which should have been in my pocket. And bear spray is like pepper spray. It's the number one thing you're supposed to use if you get approached by a bear to scare it off so it doesn't attack you. I probably not know normal pepper. It's probably like some mutant pepper to keep off a bear. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah, it's like the size of a spray uh, paint can and it'll shoot like 30 feet. Damn. So it's serious. Yo, what happens if you hit a person with that? That'll just kill them. They're going to have a really bad day. Really, like if if you get that pepper (laughs) spray on anything, you you have to like wash it really thoroughly. Mm -hmm. And the problem is it'll actually, because it's made of pepper, it'll attract bears after the initial spray so if you spray bear spray yeah. you have to like peace out after that like you have to exit the area it's, it's, it's like almost counterintuitive yeah oh, man this bear yeah. spray going to attract bears yeah 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 but yeah. It, it it'll mess a person up really badly it's like it's like regular pepper spray on steroids so but so when i had gone out obviously you want to take bear spray with you i'm by myself that's like my one measure of defense i have like my trekking pole my one stick and i have my bear spray well when i stopped to set up camp i realized that Somewhere along the line, I had dropped my bear spray and had it fallen out or gotten pulled out by by some kind of a branch when I was cutting through the brush. So I just sat there and it was a moment of like panic of like, okay, I'm miles from any other people. I'm by myself. I don't even have bear spray. I don't know where I like, what am I going to do? And like, it was the decision point of like, I can't go back. It'll take me six hours. It'll be dark before I get there. I just have to sit here and I just have to like calm down and just just wait it out. Wait for someone to get there? No, I just I just have to camp because like my goal oh. the trip was get off the bus, hike for about 6 or 7 hours, get to my camping spot, set up camp there, stay the night and then hike back out. And so at that point it was 7 or 8 o'clock at night, like my only thing I could do was set up camp and stay there. And then How was that? How was that night sleep? It was not <laughs> it was not that bad. I felt like once I got in my tent in the back like fuck. Yeah. I didn't eat dinner. I was supposed to uh, set up and like cook dinner and like food is the main thing that'll attract bears. I so honestly I didn't eat. I just I got I set up my tent. I read my book until I fell asleep. I woke up in the morning and and I left. But it was a very humbling experience. It was like what's your what when you're taking these trips, you have to keep your like essentials on you. What is your like few essentials you, you got to keep on you when you're on these type of trips? Obviously yeah. bear spray. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, like what else? Yeah, so my pack would normally be my shelter stuff, so I had a backpacking tent that I took with me. Mm-hmm. I had my sleeping bag. Then I have a bunch of dry gear, like rain gear, so rain pants, rain jacket, just waterproof everything. Because in climates like that, you can get rained on one moment, and then it can be sunny the next, and then it's snowing maybe later that day. You just don't know. So, And then um, all my food was in a bear canister, so they make you take a bear-proof, basically giant jar. It's like maybe a foot or 16 inches tall and like a foot across. 
and that's what you have to keep all your food in. And you actually put the food in that container and then set it like 100 yards away from your tent. Mm -hmm. So if a bear comes to check out your food, they're nowhere close to you. Mm -hmm. So that would be the majority of my stuff. Um, I brought like bear spray, knife. I would bring a book, a map, Mm -hmm. because there's no... Obviously, I didn't have cell service out there. I didn't have like a, a GPS. So it was just old school looking at a topographical map and compass figuring out where you are. Bro, I would have been... That's like... In my head, I think I can do it. And I've like been on hikes. I hiked Yosemite and, and we camped. But we camped in like a camping spot. Like there's hella yeah. other people there. I've never yeah. like camped in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And that's what I really want to do. But like I know I have to do it eventually. But I know I'm going to be bad at it. So I'm going to need you <laughs> to be with me to make sure I don't die. We're, we're going to go. Yeah. And you You totally could do it. And a lot of it is a mental thing. Yeah. Um, the... Rest of the trips I took out there into the backcountry, I took with people who had never gone out there before. One was with two of my my buddies. And as soon as we got out there, they just kept saying, like, man, I can't believe I waited so long to do this. Like, I can't believe I, I didn't get out here earlier. And as long as you use common sense and you're just careful about things, yeah. it's not going to be that bad. I'm the type of person that if I'm in the situation, I just try to think about the situation itself mm-hmm. as it's happening. Mm-hmm. Right? And that makes me... A little bit more comfortable because in like if i was in that situation you're in i wouldn't spend most of the time thinking oh why did i do this or why did i do that i'm like okay what is the next step yeah and i think when i made my first trip out to uh, yosemite that kind of mindset helped a lot and i feel like not to digress but that's <laughs> um a type of thinking that helps outside of i guess the wilderness 100%. you know because a lot of people kind of get stuck in situations of like if they're getting bogged down by a situation or the world seems to not be built for their favor, yeah. they get turned into like a woe is me situation instead of, okay, buckle down and like figure out what's going on and try to make adjustments, logical, um, logical decisions to figure yourself out of that situation. And on top of that, figuring out the beauty of the situation in terms of like, Hey, this may suck right now, but what can this do for me later on? Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Because everything can be to your benefit in one way or another. And what that reminds me a lot of is just focusing on the things you can control. So um, there's a lot of talk about something called the dichotomy control, which is basically being good at understanding these things are in my control. I can do something about these and these things I can't. So in my situation, it was I'm in the middle of the wilderness. I don't have bear spray. I backtracked a little bit, but I couldn't find it. It could be three hours away. So at that point, I can't do anything about that. Best thing I can do is settle down, stay calm, mm-hmm. do my thing. You're like, I watch Bear Grylls do this hella times <laughs> Yeah, with the camera crew. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Bear Grylls. My favorite thing uh, from watching Bear Grylls was how he would say, glaciers. We're glaciers. crossing the glaciers. Watch out for the crevasses. Uh, something about like people with British accents, they could be saying anything. You'll, just listen. You, you'll have to take their word for it because it's so British. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like that guy on YouTube earlier. It's yeah, like little, oh yeah, <laughs> thank you, British guy, British YouTube guy from the beginning. Because literally, there was a guy before you, not you. I'm talking about British guy, <laughs> that we were listening, and he just had a regular like accent, and we're like, man, fuck this guy, and he didn't <laughs> tell us, he didn't help us really. And literally, the next video with the British guy, I'm like, yo, he hooked it up. The accent makes you 100 percent more helpful. Um, have you ever been like, um, out of the country? I have. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like, what are your experiences there? Like, what countries you've been to? What's your favorite? What are some yeah. uh, bucket list destinations? 
Yeah, quite the bucket list. So my first country I went to was Canada, which is not super exciting. Mm-hmm. But I did a week long. That was basically Alaska. Yeah, yeah, it was similar. Yeah, it yeah. was basically like <laughs> super northern Minnesota, basically, just uh-huh. across the border. And did a week long canoeing and uh, camping trip. So same kind of thing. But instead of carrying all the stuff on our backs, we had our packs on the canoe and had to do short little portages of carrying your canoe. After that, I went to Brazil. Ooh. I spent about a week in Brazil, and I was touring with a choir, actually. So we hopped around to different Wait, cities. hold up. Yeah. Hold up. You were <laughs> yeah, in I choir? Was, well, yeah. I was in a... When I lived in Rockford, I was in a, a, a like a men's choir called Conorai. Bro, the, the I am just hearing this for the first time. Now you know. Yeah. What? Yeah. So the, the fun thing about the choir was we did performances like locally, like in mm-hmm. the more Midwest, but... Every year they would do a tour, and every third year was a summer tour. Mm. So one of the years I was part of it, they did a tour in Brazil. And so we hit a couple of different cities. We went to Rio de Janeiro. We went to Petropolis, and we went to Perici. And so got to see a lot of awesome sites. I was still pretty young at that point, but it was an awesome experience as far as just, like, an entirely different culture. And we were hosted by a choir from Brazil, from Petropolis. So I got to stay with a homestay family and... I didn't speak any Portuguese, and they didn't speak a lot of English, but it was just such a great experience to see them. A lot of hand signaling. Yeah, yeah. So it was an awesome experience of just, like, still feeling warm and welcome, even though we mm-hmm. our communication was very limited. And I was there the beginning of June, so they were celebrating something called St. John the Baptist Day, mm-hmm. which I don't know if it's a big thing here, but it was a big thing for them. So they had a party. They had all their friends over. And it was just, I really think the best way to experience another culture is, like, really to get with the people. Like, you can stay in the hotel and you can do the touristy stuff, but yeah. being able to stay in their home for a couple of nights really gave me an appreciation for it. I think that's something um, Americans kind of, I, I wouldn't even say all Americans, because I think, I think urban Americans. I think mm-hmm. urban Americans kind of have never really experienced, unless they've actually went out to go and um, see it for themselves, an actual culture of hospitality in terms of like strangers, you know? So in a lot of other countries, right? I know um, my family's like of Afghan origin and like, it's a big, um, it's a big part of the community and the culture is to be hospitable. Yeah. It's so much to the point that there's a code called Pashtunwali where you're, it's part of like one of the command, like their codes, right? And you're supposed to take someone in, even if, they're like an enemy if they ask for like asylum in your house you have to take them in mm-hmm. like that's the rule and i feel like if you live in like new york or los angeles you're like get the fuck out of my house like <laughs> yeah. what are you doing here you yeah. know so it's like you don't see the actual um the extent of human kindness toward each other on the most rawest of levels because it's not out of expectation of anything like it's strangers right yeah strangers who like for example you like you could not even communicate with them fully, but they still understand the dynamic and they still like welcome you in. And that's something I think that if you're like living in an urban environment for your, most of your life, that you should set out to like see those things, obviously like not take advantage of situations. But <laughs> when you come back to wherever environment you live in, try to bring a little piece of that back with you, you know. So that's really cool. So you mentioned Brazil. Are there any yeah. other kind of big highlight places that stick with you? Yeah. The other trip I took after that, went to Mexico, did the vacation thing like the Mayan Riviera, and that was okay. But that was a completely different experience because um, I went with my ex's family, and it was like staying in a resort, and everything's walled in, and it was very controlled. 
So it was beautiful, and we got to see a bunch of nice things, but wouldn't have been my choice of vacation style. Mm -hmm. And so two summers ago, I went to Iceland, and it was the first really vacation I planned 100% by myself. First time I had traveled internationally alone. And that was an awesome trip because I didn't do a homestay while I was there, actually, but I was backpacking the whole time. So other than stay in a hostel one night, the first night I got into the capital of Reykjavik, I was in my tent every other night. And obviously you're in a campground with a bunch of other people. So that was another great way to meet not just Icelandic people, but people from all over Europe because it's a really popular vacation destination for like Germans, French. So That's one thing I I don't know if I am ready to do yet is the <laughs> is the solo trip. Yeah, it was it was a big step, but I think what's what's exciting for me about traveling alone is that when you go with a group you tend to talk to those people. Like yeah. if I'm traveling with my family I'm probably doing everything with them and talking to them. When you go by yourself, you're much more open to meeting new people and you're much more approachable because mm-hmm. you, you, even if you look like that lost American, then people can will kind of pick up to that. Yeah. And in my experience, it's nothing but good things have come of that. And usually people in those like environments are used to like seeing it's it's more normal for them than it is for you as the visitor. Yeah. Like you're like this is such a new experience for me. But they're saying like, oh, it's like another out, like tourist or someone like that. And they have that hospitable nature to make sure that you feel as comfortable as possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I met a lot of awesome people while I was out there. Um, I think once you've done a trip like that, it really builds your confidence. I was super nervous going into it. Like I thought it was a crazy plan. But I'm one of those people that when I set a goal, I just have to like put everything in stone. Like, okay, now I bought my flight, so it's happening. Mm-hmm. And I'm also big on accountability. So it was telling all my coworkers and all my friends, like, hey, I'm going to Iceland in August. So now you point, have to go. Yeah, I can't them. back out. Yeah, because then you know, then I look, I look terrible. Yeah. Plus, I don't get to do a fun thing. But one of the interesting things was um, I met – two really good friends of mine on the trail in in Iceland. We hiked what was called the Lagavegar Trail. And I was hiking by myself, which is not advisable, but I met two other tourists that were hiking by themselves. One, his name was George. He's from Luxembourg. And so we met up and, and kind of became, started our own impromptu group. And then we met a girl from Perth, Australia. Her name's Crystal. Whoa. And that became our impromptu like hiking family. We were three people from different countries that started off the trail on our own and ended the trail together. And I still keep in touch with both of them. So it was a really awesome experience in that way. We were kind of a motley crew of a German, not a German, a a Luxembourgian, an American, and an Australian. That's like, that. I think that is the ultimate benefit of the solo trip is you're not attached to the hip to the person that you already know. Mm -hmm. You leave yourself open to developing much deeper uh, relationships with the people you meet there. Mm-hmm. And it is almost not even just about um, lear- like b- building the friendship with a new person, but it's also a lot of understanding yourself and who you are as a person. Yeah. Because I, similar, I mean, it's not completely similar, but uh, growing up, I had to switch schools pretty often for a certain period of my life. And going to a new school, you have to kind of understand who you are on a hyper level because (laughs) now you are presenting yourself all over again when you are living with the same people for a long time and you have the same friends for a long time which is good like i love having lifelong friends right but then sometimes if you don't kind of have that self-understanding you kind of get lost into like you don't think about the things you do and how your actions come off or what your role in the society is 
and mm-hmm. your place and like how you interact with it. But like when you go to these different types of environments, whether it's traveling or going to a new school, you are more hyper focused on what you're saying, how you carry yourself. And I think that's good. I think people should be like self-aware. They shouldn't have to think what other people think all the time, but they should is whether caring and understanding of like other people's like like being in their environment like mm-hmm. make like it's best to make them comfortable or not try to be overbearing but yeah i uh i feel like traveling and just kind of putting yourself out there you learn more stuff about like culture and environments but it also helps you learn more about yourself so i don't know is there any kind of like overall like it could be a singular experience or overarching that like you learned about yourself through like these travels yeah there's a bunch of different lessons i don't i think of it as one overarching lesson just because i think of how much i've grown as a person in the past couple of years and a lot of those experiences are huge parts of it and so um like the iceland trip was a really big confidence booster for me not in a fact of like, oh, I went and did this, like I saw another country, like add it to the list, but in the way of that, I really believe it's important to intentionally get out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. because that makes the day-to-day stuff seem less important and less insurmountable. It's like, okay, I, I flew to a country I'd never been to. I literally didn't know anybody and I was there for a week and like nothing bad happened. Nothing but good things mm-hmm. happened. So, and that may not, not be everybody's experience, but that makes showing up to a networking event like a yeah. little less stressful because yeah. like at least, okay, I'm in Chicago. Everyone speaks English. Like that's way more comfortable than showing up at a hostel where you literally don't know anybody mm-hmm. or being out on a trail in a country yeah. that you've never been to. So it makes those smaller things seem less stressful, which I think was really helpful for me. Um, but really, like you said, the appreciating the appreciation of other people's culture and understanding that some of the things we take for granted here as just like a cultural norm and oh everybody does it that way mm-hmm. when you go to a culture a different country all of a sudden you kind of rethink that because you're like oh wait they do this differently huh like maybe that's better maybe you, it just opens you up to a bunch of new perspectives you don't get when you stay home it changes your mind a little bit on the kind of strict rights and wrongs we think of life yeah like oh this is right and this is wrong like when you see people like in a different environment and the more like if you immerse yourself in it um i think is a better um understanding of why things happen you know like you like i i I posted this on twitter the other day i'm like (laughs) you don't have to agree to understand yes and a lot of times that's like the biggest conflicts that we see in our lives is like i don't have to act like you Mm -hmm. or i don't have to act like how other people act but it will help if I understand why they choose to do that, mm-hmm. right? Because we don't all have the same upbringings. And with that comes like, you may disagree, but with that understanding, it's a more peaceful relationship amongst disagreement, right? Yeah. And as long as no one's forcing you to do anything, then like it's straight. And they're not like doing anything like bad, bad. Right. Yeah. Because then you got to like check that. <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm a big believer that people, generally, the vast, vast, vast majority of people are doing things because that's what they believe is right. Like, it might be something you disagree Mm -hmm. with, and it might go against one of your values, but they're probably doing it because they believe it to be the right thing, and it's something core to their beliefs or core to who they are that inspires that decision. So it's not as black black and white as I think a lot of people make it. 
Yeah, I kind of feel like okay, we're going deep in this, in this fucking. <laughs> pod. I knew it was only a matter of time. We could only talk about <laughs> bears and moose shit for a certain amount of time. Then we get to the nitty gritty. But even like in terms of religion, um, I almost don't want to con- like. I have my own like thoughts and beliefs, but I almost don't want to like have to feel the need to convince other people like that my way is right. Mm-hmm. May, even if it's like certain situations, like sometimes I'll like argue for the sake of it or like people ask my opinion and they'll ask why and I'll argue why I think of it, but I don't argue like why they should. Yeah. Because ultimately, because if I'm wrong <laughs> and then we're like, I'm like judgment day. Oh, like, no. oh, well he told me, I'm like, Oh shit. I didn't really know nothing. No, that's on you. Like <laughs> everyone should like, it, these type of situations, whether it's religion or like culture, like, Oh, this is getting real danger knock right now, but <laughs> it's the objective of like, like objectively looking at situations, you know? Yeah. And cause I like, I always like to say everyone, or majority of people feel like they were born into the right religion. Right, they're like, I'm lucky. I was this and this. Like everyone thinks that, right? So that what makes you different than them? You know, like, but like I'm right. My religion's right. I was born, like I was born Muslim. I'm lucky. I was born Muslim because we're right. And yeah. there's a Christian. I'm lucky. I was born Christian because we're right. It's like, oh, okay. Like maybe like we need to take a step back a little bit. And sometimes you can come back to your own religion, but that's you should still take that step back. Yeah. And look at things in an objective manner and then go back into your like beliefs. But if you're like, so tunnel visioned in, you may miss things that, um, miss parts of the world or parts of kind of reality by being kind of stuck in this sort of like, like I said, tunnel vision, but yeah. yeah. And the way to fix that, I, I, I personally believe is to immerse yourself in different environments and force yourself to not only understand other people, but also understand yourself and ask yourself, why do I think like this? What were the kind of scenarios that led me to think the way that I think? Because there could be a set of twins, right, who believe in two different things because one kid had a day, like, at school where he got bullied and the other kid didn't, you know? Yeah. And now he looks at life differently. And they're both came from... Their variables, for the most part, are the same except for one tiny thing that can switch everything, mm-hmm. you know? So understanding why you think the way you do and why other people think the way they do kind of will really like i guess i don't know if it'll change your life but it'll make give you a different perspective but i don't know if you have any kind of thoughts on that yeah i think it'll it'll increase the quality of your life in a number of different ways and i think exactly what you've talked about is a great approach it requires a high level of self-awareness to realize this is why i am the way i am and it also requires a high level of empathy to be able to like mm-hmm. put yourself in somebody else's shoes and go, okay, it's possible that this person has like similar core values and motivation. Like they want to live their life right and they want to be a virtuous person, but that may have led them to a different answer. Like or because mm-hmm. of the, maybe it's because of their culture or because of where they were born, or maybe it's simply because, like you said, of experiences. They may still be a good person, but come to a different conclusion than you have. And I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to mm-hmm. cope with. Like and, I said, it becomes, yeah. especially through the media and everything, it becomes very black and white when I don't think it is a black and white issue. So Yeah, and some people on the path, they're so tunnel vision on the path of quote-unquote doing good that they follow like a black and white system where ultimately that can lead to you doing bad. 
because you overlook things that don't follow your rules mm-hmm. you know which i can i guess relate to like religion where there some people who are very religious could be very bad people mm-hmm. but the religion itself may not be the problem but it's like that person's own kind of either interpretation or what they want to get out of it is like either selfish or based in something not rooted in what the purpose of the original text or religion was made for. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of these debates come up because people are focusing a lot on the things that we disagree on rather than the the possibly huge number of things that are agreed on. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you look at it from like a big scope, um, a lot of a lot of these different people are going to agree on things like being honest and being virtuous and you know helping others. So it's just interesting to see so many people focus on those um, points of difference yeah. rather than the points of of that they have in common. So I, I think a lot of people say that like um, and I kind of I agree. Like in in theory, like we need a, like an alien invasion for <laughs> us to realize like how similar we as humans are to each other to and unite this, humanity. The, the stupid like garbage that we fight each other over. Yeah. Like if there's an aliens, like okay, we are all humans and now we are one team. Mm-hmm. Like understanding that these like stupid like menial like things that we just stress each other like and like are any like. We'll kill each other over like this mass like like war like if you think about it, like what is war actually over in the this day and age like we ain't even fighting for land anymore like what's going on like we're just like if you go like if you start looking deeply you're like whoa what are we actually doing and it doesn't even matter because I think that it doesn't matter like the difference right as long as we don't the problem is like people think that we should all see each other as the same. And I do believe that's true, but I should feel like we should see each other as different, but value the differences instead, instead mm-hmm. of like overcoding us, everyone as the same thing, because it reminds me of that. I don't know if like, you know, Doug, the fairly odd parents episode yeah. where like everyone became like gray blobs and they would think that this would solve like the prejudices or whatever. And then there's a group of like blobs. They're like, but we're the grayest and the blobbiest. Yep. Of, uh, like, what the like? It's so stupid. But if you give people a way, they will find a way to like find a difference, and then for their own sake or for their own like benefit, like put themselves above just to make themselves feel better, right? Mm-hmm. Oh well, I have this, or they don't have that, so now therefore I am better. Yeah. It's a more personal thing, like racists. And uh, people who have prejudices like that, to that extent, it says more about them, like about what they think of themselves than it does about what they think of other people. So, yeah. 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 No, I agree with you. And I think that in a hypothetical situation where everybody was the same race and everybody was the same religion, we would still have an issue. Like they w- would find a way to divide people. And not, I'm not saying they as in like mm-hmm. some higher organization. I'm just saying like, people are somewhat naturally inclined to do that. So if it wasn't race or religion, it could be height or it could be like, mm-hmm. what clothes you decide to wear. This guy's voice is too deep. Fuck him. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it could be that. God um, likes higher voice people, and I know for sure. Yep. Or it could be like brown eyes or green eyes or what. Like, yeah. It could literally be anything. Um, and I think that 
people are naturally inclined to kind of group up with their tribe. I read a book, and I wish I remembered the author's name, but it's about tribe, and it's about how um, soldiers returning from war have a hard time, and a lot of it is blamed on PTSD, but what he actually thought it was was that they had such a tight-knit like group and community, and then they come back to the U.S., mm-hmm. and they don't have that support. They don't have those people with them constantly. Like, like what am I supposed to go to a book club after this? After, like the people who I was closest to I fought next to. Yeah. Like, yeah. they can't get back into regular life. Yeah, exactly. And, and nobody who they're surrounded with understands. But kind of the moral of the book is that we're, in all aspects of our life, we look for our tribe, whether, whether that's like, I'm a Chicago Bears fan, so that's my tribe. So mm-hmm. it it's the kind of things that create the us against them mentality. And you'll see that not just in the hot button topics like religion and politics, but like in sports. And that's why people are like, yeah. screw the Packers. I hate them. Like, I'm a all Bears right, fan. You- yeah, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I fuck think... the Packers, fuck the New York Knicks, all right? Yeah. They're not my tribe. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. And, and sports are, you know, compared to other topics, relatively unimportant, but I think they scratch that same natural itch we have of like, we want it to be us and them. Like, we need a group to, to fight. And I think mm-hmm. that that's something that you have to be self aware enough to overcome. I think if, if it's going to be embedded in people, because I'm a very competitive person, right? So. If this is going to be there, then you might as well take control of it and filter it and try to make it as healthy as possible. That's why I really like sports, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not determinant on like, um, oh, this person looks like this, therefore I like root for him. It's kind of like a skill. And like, I mean, for the most part, objective, right? If I put the ball in the hoop more times than you, then I win, mm-hmm. right? And... For, like it's not like a life situation it's like i believe this now i'm better than you it's like no i like i dunked on your ass now i'm better than you <laughs> right so yeah. i think healthy competition is a the way to satiate that need of kind of i don't know if it's competitive human competitive nature or human prejudice nature but i would rather hope it would lean more into competitive in a healthier way right than prejudice yeah yeah, and sports are, are an interesting point. I'm not a huge sports person, but one of the things I got to learn this summer was my roommate in Alaska was Bulgarian. Mm. And so for them, football or soccer for us is, is really, really huge, and they have a bunch of different clubs. And he was from the capital city that had one of the biggest uh, soccer teams in the in the country. So what I learned was that they have over there have um, not just the soccer team, but you'll have individual clubs that support said team and it's a big part of it is that like if you're going to the game or you see somebody from the opposing team you'll be with all your buddies and it's kind of like not a competition but it's like regular practice to beat up members who are wearing the other team's jersey and steal the jersey from them so like their club had a collection of these jerseys that they had forcibly taken from other people and that's as an american that's kind of crazy to me because like i don't go to a packers bears game like ready to get the shit kicked out of me you know what i mean um but Uh, i think human nature yeah yeah and it's like they he was young and they kind of judged it as like fun and games but that's i think an example of again that tribe even if that your tribe and Mm -hmm. i use that with quotation marks is just all the people that like these soccer teams that easily becomes an us against them mentality especially when alcohol is involved yeah that you're like your kind of decision making is kind of more not rooted in logical thought you're just like kind of going with the flow of a situation yeah. but yeah i old I, i'm trying to like reserve myself from even talking like even more about this because it's gonna be like a 10 hour long podcast <laughs> that's okay yeah. and i know you gotta like head out soon and this is not going to be the last that you'll see of doug oh uh-huh. there's gonna be 
way more Doug in the future. But I just wanted to ask Doug if like there's any like last kind of final thoughts that you thought about like overarching from I, we talked about m- moose mm-hmm. and wait plural of moose is also moose right also moose yeah so yeah. from talking about moose bears there's a religion and yeah. identity um i don't know if there's like, any uh, final words you want to like say before you come back on next time to talk another <laughs> hour i'd love to but, be back yeah um i really think the theme that kind of ties this all together is personal growth and that's how i've mm-hmm. looked at it as and it's collecting a wide variety of experiences so that you're able to consider other people's viewpoints and you put yourself in situations when you put yourself in those situations you may understand why somebody thinks the way they do Mm -hmm. and so it's cheesy to say like oh walk a mile in somebody else's shoes but i think at least getting out of your own comfort zone or getting out of your own bubble like i grew up in uh i was raised in a very white family in like rural wisconsin and so that gave me eating cheese curds and shit (laughs) yeah exactly and and uh and I, I love all that stuff, but it gave me a very particular perspective. And it wasn't until I got to Chicago and met a lot of different kinds of people. And like me. Yeah, like, exactly <laughs> like you. And got exposed to different viewpoints that I started realizing, like, how much there is out there and how, like, it's very hard to plant your flag and say, like, okay, just this one thing is right. So yeah, I would I, say collect experiences, grow personally, and keep an open mind. Yeah, I, and that's why I think, like, me and Doug, like, got along so well because – Although we have different life experiences, we have different forward. I mean, we have similar forward thinking and similar um, kind of approach to life. And he's obviously way more like adventurous. And I'm trying to like get up to his level. And I'm trying to like meet some bears and shit. But you got man, time. We'll we'll do like a danger knock vlog of us on a camping trip sooner, <laughs> going hopefully, to Alaska. rather than later. But uh, Doug. If, uh, you want to give out like any kind of information on where these people can find you, like Instagram or wherever? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm on Instagram. I believe it's Douglas A. Warner. Don't quote me on that. So at um, du- hold on, let me check before you miss this. Yeah, I believe <laughs> it's at Douglas A. Warner. I have a little bit of an art project, uh, some business that I run on the side. So I do uh, miniature model painting. That will be Arkenstone painting at Arkenstone painting. Those are the best two places to check me out. I'm recording Doug on Snapchat right now <laughs> just to, like, document all of this. But so you said repeat it again, your uh, social media handles, just so the people can find you and you can see, see pictures that he posted of his Alaskan adventures. And oh, you can yeah. follow him and be um, uh, keep updated on his future adventures. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So that's at Douglas Warner. Last name is W-A-R-R-I-N-E-R. And then the personal projects of the painting is Arkenstone, A-R-K-E-N-S-T-O-N-E, painting. Is that where your figurines? Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, All we right. rebranded the painting page after I got okay. back from Alaska. So. For sure. Um, yeah, and you know where to find me at, so podcast at, at Danger Knock, and then my own personal at acronym A-C-R-O underscore N-M. And I never know how to sign off on these things, so I'm going to just say deuces, and until next time. Thank you for listening.